This is 30 Mile Zone, episode number 23. We are talking about Spanglish this week. Spanglish is a 2005 movie written and directed by James L. Brooks, longtime producer for The Simpsons, only really directed, I think, one other movie, which was Something's Gotta Give, uh, starring Jack Nicholson and Diane Keaton. This movie stars Adam Sandler, Paz Vega, Taya Leone, and Cloris Leachman with Shelby Bruce starring as uh, Christina, the the um, daughter of Paz Vega's character, Floor. I am joined for this episode today by Rachel Reyes, who absolutely nailed down joining me as a guest <laughs> for this episode, what, like a month and a half ago? As mm-hmm. soon as we put up our fall schedule, yep. you were like Spanglish mm-hmm. on it. Me and you, Spanglish. <laughs> Gotta do it. <laughs> And I'm really happy that I was able to team up with you for this episode. There's a lot to talk about in terms of representations of mm-hmm. Los Angeles in this. It's, it gives a lot of meat for discussion. Um, before we do that, I will give a brief summary of the movie and then let's just get right into it. Uh, so Spanglish actually opens with a narrative framing device that we want to talk about a little later in terms of using college admissions essays to get into the main story. Christina, our narrator, is applying to Princeton. We have this sort of jokey opening scene where all these teenagers are like applying for college and they are uh, saying, you know, my hero's Mother Teresa, blah, 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 very cliche type things. Um, and then Christina opens her letter. Um, we, we actually get her story because it hooks in the uh, it hooks in the administrator who's reading through all these essays. Her hero is her mother. And the story focuses on their journey from Mexico when Flora and Christina leave Mexico for Los Angeles after their, or after... Uh, Flora's partner, Christina's father, leaves them for unnamed father, leaving for unnamed reasons, just uh, just sort of disappears. Um, and they go to Los Angeles where they live with a family member in uh, the, the so-called barrio, as, <laughs> as they call it throughout <laughs> the movie. Um, they, they repeatedly, they don't tell us where the it is. Barrio. The unnamed barrio. Uh, and... After spending years in Los Angeles, which they've chosen because it is so, it it it, it, it uh, has so much Latino culture. They they say um, where Floor has been able to make rent by working some very low paying jobs, possibly sub minimum wage, and uh, multiple jobs at once. She decides that she needs to have one higher paying job once Christina is approaching her uh, adolescence because she wants to be around in the evenings to protect her from, um, you know, sex, drugs, rock and roll, etc. cetera. <laughs> <laughs> um, so she ends up getting a job with the Klasky family. And the Klaskys are a rich white family on the west side living in Bel Air, or thereabouts, uh, Adam Sandler is John Klasky. This uh, he's sort of playing against type as a, a very earnest, uh, hardworking guy who is at a crossroads in his career. Top chef, head chef, uh, owner of a restaurant that's getting rave reviews, that kind of thing. Taya Leone is a former businesswoman who's now settling uneasily into a role as a housewife and uh, and stay at home mom. 
Cloris Leachman is, uh, is, is Taylor and his character, Deborah's mother, a former jazz singer. And then we have the two kids, the Klasky kids, Bernie and Georgie. The, uh, the bulk of the movie centers around Flora's relationship with the Klaskys, the, the clashes in values and in their respective upbringings of their parents, as well as, as Flora's upbringing of, of Christina, uh, and also the language barrier, which is uh, implicit in the title of the movie. Flora doesn't speak any English. She spent all this time in L.A., um, she doesn't really understand English at all, even though she sort of represents that she does in order to get this job. Um, so there's a lot of the language that sort of is wrapped up in how people understand body language and what is being uh, what is being communicated is sometimes misinterpreted, misinterpreted, or sometimes it's understood perfectly clearly, and that's also awkward. Uh, at, a, at a certain point in the movie, the families go to Malibu. Flora and Christina at this point begin staying with the, the Klaskis full time because there's no way for them to get there and back on the transit system. Uh, the, the Malibu summer house uh, sequence also includes a brief cameo from Thomas Hayden Church, who is Deborah's love interest on the side. She starts an affair with this guy. They're not, uh, John and Deborah aren't really happy in their marriage. Um, and eventually, Cloris Leachman's character, Evelyn, tells Deborah she needs to come clean about this affair. When she does, John and Flora, who have been sort of developing romantic feelings for each other for a while, uh, they have a scene where they explore those more fully. Floor decides that she is going to uh, leave employment with the Klaskis, not pursue anything further with uh, John, and also take Christina out of the private upscale uh, school that she's gotten into through no small part of uh, of Deborah, who's sort of been interfering in, in Floor and, and Christina's relationship throughout the movie. Um, at the end of the movie, when she's when she's pulled Christina out of the school, Christina says, "I'm never going to forgive you. This is you're ruining my life." And and Flora says uh, that she needs for her daughter to answer a question that will be central to the rest of her life, which is, does she want to be someone very different than her mother? And um, and so then we end the movie with Christina saying, "I am my mother's daughter. Acceptance to this Ivy League school doesn't you know doesn't define me." Uh, because I'm defined by my relationship to my mother. And that is Spanglish, in a very brief summary. I've, I've uh, you know, full disclosure, we started and I wasn't <laughs> recording. So I've, I've had two goes at, at it now. I don't know, first one better or second one? I like this one. Good, thank yeah. you. It would have crushed me and the <laughs> listeners if you had said otherwise. <laughs> Rachel, uh, what, what do you like so much about this movie? I first saw this film in theaters uh, with my own mother. And I remember really identifying with Christina at the time. I was 13 when this movie came out. And I have always gone to school with rich white people. Mm -hmm. um, and really, um, you know, my, my parents never really talked to us about uh, not conforming to that culture and the way that Floor, um, you know, really worries about Christina um, 
becoming too similar yeah. to to the white kids she was she potentially would go to school with. Um, but I but I always kind of sensed that that was like the case, right? That my mm-hmm. parents didn't want me to become greedy or entitled, frankly. Yeah. Um, so I really identified with with Christina's character um, and having to navigate both worlds and not to compare mm-hmm. our experiences. Like my parents are both fluent English speakers, mm-hmm. born in this country. Like I, I, you know, I'm not claiming that, um, that part of her identity, but just the idea that I am Mexican in LA yep. and um, regardless of, you know, where I'm born, I'm always going to be seen, seen as, as an outsider. So I really identified with that. The the word, so you use the words greedy and entitled. The word that Floor uses in this movie in a really good scene is smug. Mm-hmm. And, and she's, she mm-hmm. recalls, uh, John, tells John that he is smug in his assumption that he can just give enormous sums of money, I mean, fit, even uh, $50, which is what he said he had intended to give Christina. He ends up giving her... Uh, $640 mm-hmm. uh, for collecting stones off the beach is, like you're saying, an entitlement or or just the level of not needing to think about your actions that for Flora is just completely uh, alien. And I, I think that this movie, it does talk a lot about assimilation and 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 sort of the 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 counter contrasting pressures there. We don't really get, besides that, that scene, we don't mm-hmm. get much from Flora's perspective as to what her specific fears about assimilation really are, right? Mm-hmm. We know, we get from that first scene, right, that they, that she wants, they, they don't stop in Texas when they yeah. cross the border because it's only 34% Hispanic. They keep mm-hmm. going until they get to <laughs> L.A., which is half Hispanic. Um, and you found that yes. that's like roughly still the percentage it is, right? Yeah. I mean, Texas um, is now up to 41% mm-hmm. Latinx, but according to Google, LA is still 48%. So if you are a fact checker, please let me know if that's true or not, because that's what the internet said. We should have the new numbers now with the 2020 census. I'm, I'm so curious because that just seems, I would have expected, I would have expected more. more. Um, but yeah, so floor is, 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 called out within the the framing of the movie as somebody who, or signified within the movie as somebody who is deeply connected to her Mexican heritage uh, and to what in the movie they call Latin culture. They, they like use a <laughs> dynamic of like Latin and Anglo culture, which feels um, very dated, like probably yes. even at the time that this movie came out. Um, but, but just to say Flora is all about that. She lives in America for six years, apparently not really leaving the confines of the neighborhood that they've settled in mm-hmm. and very happy with that right. and only really leaves when economic pressures force her to do so. Mm-hmm. Um, what did you, I mean, what did you think about the like assimilation narrative and, and Flora's relationship or Flora and Christina's different relationships to it? Um, you know, I think it's at one point in the film, when Deb wants to ask Floor and Christina, well, Floor first to move in with them at the Malibu house because it would be easier. Um, she has to go and find someone who speaks Spanish to mm-hmm. communicate. 
um, to communicate with Floor. And so, you know, they run out of, of this house and they're walking down PCH, I think. Mm-hmm. And she finds this like random man washing a car. Yeah. And the first thing she asks him is, do you speak English? Which I thought was bizarre because if you're trying to communicate with someone in Spanish, surely <laughs> you would say, do you speak Spanish? So that's like one instance where language is used to belittle Floor. Uh-huh. Um, why won't she just learn English? Um, Deb corrects her at one point as well uh, with a phrase that she uses incorrectly. Um, So, you know, the language barrier is very key here. And Mm -hmm. I think it's important that like Floor doesn't feel the need and actually doesn't have to um, operating in an informal economy. um, She doesn't need to learn English to be able to pay her bills. Um, And it's not until she is worried um, that Christina's identity will be threatened by this family that she decides that she has to learn English um, to be able to communicate what she doesn't like and what is making her uncomfortable. And I think that's really important because she sees Christina um, acting as her translator all the time, which I know a lot of people can identify yeah. with. Um, so I also like that. That depiction in the film, I think, was very real. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think it's really important that we see that shift in floor, like I need to learn English now in Malibu in this house. I'm ordering, you know, DVDs. I was um, staggered by so the the scene that you're referring to. Floor gets off of the TV, off like an as seen on TV <laughs> sort of ad. Uh, this set of DVDs to learn English for Spanish speakers. It was an absurd amount of money. It was like six hundred dollars down payment, and then. Like twelve, like a pay- year, twelve yeah. payments of ninety dollars or something. I was mm-hmm. like, "That is so much money." So much money when she could just talk to the English speakers that she's True. living with. Yeah, except I mean, there's so much, um, there's so much classism mm-hmm. built up in that where it's like, <laughs> of course, uh, like you're saying, she's being belittled in these uh, in these small ways for mm-hmm. for not understanding English. Um, and then she's put into a position where her daughter has to serve as intermediary for all of her interactions uh, with with the Klaskis, which is which is hard, especially for somebody who is prideful like like Flora is um, undoubtedly to to be in, put in a situation. And and she actually says to John later, uh, once she started speaking English on her own, she's like, I feel like. You know, I feel like I communicate like a two-year-old, you know, like, and there's this really like, um, you know, poignant sentiment to that, that throughout the whole movie, the Klaskis are treating Flora like she's dumb. Like, you know, I mean, Deborah to a greater extent and the the others to a lesser extent, but, um, but they're all sort of treating her like she's just... A beautiful moron <laughs> who, like, who who's can't, in charge of the kids, <laughs> who's in charge of the kids, who can't, who can't communicate, and so then uh, in the latter part of the movie, she actually gets to say, you know, like now, like now that I'm speaking English, but I still can't express myself. I actually feel like well, now I'm. Um, she feels it still infantilized, basically, by her by her inability to communicate with them. Um, but I, you referenced too a point early early on in the movie where Deborah says to her mother, she's like she's been in this country six years and she hasn't. Why hasn't she learned any English? Yeah, she says, "Why won't? Why she won't learn she? English? Yeah, why won't she learn English? 
it's so interesting. It it um this is so central to the movie. There's like this and and actually one of the things that I think is most true to um in, in terms of the depiction of of modern Los Angeles it's such a one-way street. It's like people who speak <laughs> yeah. people who speak Spanish sh- should. There's like an expectation that have you to. should or have to learn English. Um, and the same definitely does not go both ways. English speakers in LA, more than, I mean, for, for a city that is half Hispanic, mm-hmm. for a city that has such a huge number of Spanish speakers. Um, and was Mexico. And was Mexico. I mean, literally millions of people in the county that speak Spanish primarily at home. Mm -hmm. Um, That despite all of that, you know, that in LA, there's an expectation that you have if you're a native English speaker that you should not really have to learn Spanish or speak Spanish in order to get through your life. And I think it's extremely wrapped up in the class dynamics of what we see exactly in this movie of uh, um, wealthier people thinking of Spanish as a servile language, for lack of a better word. Like, oh yeah, that's my housekeeper speaks Spanish. My whatever, whatever, what do I, we don't really see floors like working in too much of a capacity in this movie, but like my, my domestic, my domestic help speaks Spanish and they, exists to accommodate my needs. Therefore, they should learn to speak the language that I speak, you know. And it's also very like uh, the classies are also the kind of family that like would send their kids to an immersion summer in Spain mm-hmm. so that they could get into college, like go yeah. and learn Spanish in Spain yeah. um, so that you can get into Princeton along with Christina. Um, it's just all very like the language part of this film, I think, is fascinating and we could talk about for hours. <laughs> I mean, it's um, it's it's in the title, right? Like the, it's interesting because there actually is not really any Spanglish, you know, like (laughs) Like actual actual Spanglish in this movie. It's everyone is either speaking Spanish or speaking English, but I feel like that also makes sense because Spanglish is so uh, is such an interesting cultural phenomenon. I mean, it happens anywhere that you have these diverse multi-ethnic communities. My family's from Louisiana where um, like in Haiti, people spoke Creole, these like uh, these mixtures of French and uh, and English that just become over time something completely different. Um, and And that just sort of happens naturally. And so like in LA, you know, people speak Spanglish and really do like use mixtures of words from various languages to get their point across. Whereas in this movie, they're looking at at people who are like so far on either side of that uh, linguistic divide that mm. that that's just not even possible, right? Yeah, because there's no other like people of color in this film. No. <laughs> who speak English fluently, <laughs> like, no. except for Christina. Like, there's not even, like, other kids at school. Um, even the the one man we meet, Alex, um, at John's restaurant, mm-hmm. he, like, is also not fluent in English and is right. and is looked down upon for that yep. and berated by, by John's sous chef. So... <laughs> Who's a just 
a, a real piece of work. <laughs> he he's, really he's is. a racist. He has like a very small part in this movie, but it's just enough to make you hate him. <laughs> That's good acting though. <laughs> so good on that man. Um, but yeah, no, the, I agree with you. The, the language aspect of this movie is really interesting. I mean, we don't really get we don't get a deep look at their life, Christina and and Flora's life in the neighborhood. We get slightly more of a view of Bel Air, which is where the Klaskis are living. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's an interesting portrait, and in I mean, it's it's very much like. Uh, did you watch Weeds, the TV show? I did not. It's 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 like about sort of just like white suburbia and the the sort of like pursuit of of perfection by these people and and there's that's a very, probably why i didn't watch it I, it's, uh, don't <laughs> do not <laughs> i'll save you some time um the the middle 2000s sort of bel-air that is presented here deborah spends much of her time just jogging shopping she, she runs a lot they are constantly outfitting their house with new things she is a deeply unhappy person. It comes up throughout the movie. I felt like uh, her life in particular in their Bel Air house was a really good, actual, like a really accurate depiction of depression, right? And just mm-hmm. like, there's not really a whole lot of time. It's It kind of like is a, it wants to be compassionate to Deborah. But also every other character in the movie sort of spends all their time being like, man, wouldn't our life be a lot easier if she just <laughs> were not here? Um, <laughs> what did you think of Taylor and his character? Uh, you know, this is probably only the third time I've actually watched it. I watched it when it was in theaters. We studied it in high school, but really only talked about the class dynamics in the movie. Um, and then I watched it earlier today. And I think this was the first time that I actually noticed how toxic Deb is Mm -hmm. as a person, Mm -hmm. as a mother, um, as a partner. And I had just, that had just been totally over my head. So yeah, she is like the perfect example of what I would now say is like the wellness to cue person. Oh my God, yes. She would be a total anti-vaxxer today. For sure. She has not gotten her COVID vaccines. Um, So she runs herself raw. She's obsessed with weight. She is obsessed with putting her daughter down um, for the way that she looks, for how much her daughter weighs. And it's just very sad to me. And I found myself reacting a lot more to her storyline than anyone else's this time around. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's just because I'm older and because I've met so many people like Deb, people that I know, um, friends of uh, mothers of friends that I have. Um, she just reminded me of a lot of people I have now met in my life. I would say... Uh... I feel like Deb is the most fully realized character in this movie. Mm-hmm. Like, she has the most dimensionality, um, and 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 is is this sort of like tragic character? I would love to see a version of this that like that did involve like the sort of anti-vax a modern and, like, day. <laughs> yeah, because I I feel like you're totally right. This this character, it's so easy to see her being like. 
uh, oh, I'm the the bad guy because I won't get my kids <laughs> the COVID shot that's going to make them sterile. <laughs> it's very easy to picture that for her. Totally. Um, but she does a really good job. I think Taylioni does a really good job bringing across the, the parts of this character that are just driven by... Um, you know, just like a sort of self-loathing and um, and and depression that she can't escape. There's no, there's no real, none of the none of the other characters in the movie really are, and it's not necessarily put upon them to grapple with those issues that she's having. But it also seems pretty clear that she does not have the wherewithal to deal with that any way other than just like I'm going to go for a run. There's a really uh, like tragic comic sex scene in this movie mm, mm-hmm. where uh, Adam Sandler, where John Klasky has just gotten a rave review calling him the best chef in America. Um, a very John Goldian sort of review, <laughs> except um, I don't know if he ever would have said that about anybody. Like, oh, this is the best single chef in America. But other than that, yeah, very, very John Goldian. Um, and Tay Leone comes in, she's read the review, she's so like amped up, she jumps John and just like has very like aggressive sex with him and immediately starts crying. But they don't have sex. And collapses. No, they don't. Yeah, they don't actually have sex. She's just like grinding. Grinding on him. <laughs> yeah. yeah, she's just aggressively grinding on him. And then she just starts bawling and just like falls over <laughs> on the bed. And then you just imagine she just lays there for the rest of the day. Uh, it's just like, it's such a, it's it's so, um, so obvious. She's so obviously depressed mm-hmm. and talks at one point about like leaving her job as some kind of, executive in order to because the restaurant was taking off or whatever and just being at home with the uh with the kids does not seem to be like good for her mental health no (laughs) they don't really need her either there's like there's an ongoing thing where it's like um pretty much everybody in her life seems to prefer floor to to deborah and i mean not for no reason either uh as you mentioned Bernie, the the Klasky's daughter, is sort of going through it. Her mom is putting her down all the time, uh, buying her clothes that are intentionally buying her clothes mm-hmm. that are too small for her in order to motivate her to lose weight, being like, you don't um <laughs> you don't need to eat this or whatever, like putting something yeah. back in the fridge. Um what did you how how did you react to Bernie's character this time? Uh, also just felt so much more of a kinship to to her character. Um whereas as I said earlier like I really identified with Christina as as a teen, mm-hmm. but as an adult uh having lived in this uh society now for 30 years, um having to deal with diet culture, with mm-hmm. wellness culture, with weight loss culture. Um, I felt really bad for her. And I, you know, I, I know girls like that, that I grew up with who had food diaries in high school. Um, I know people who still see like dietitians because they're like, I shouldn't be this weight. Um, and it's this, uh, I don't know, it really broke my heart to watch her character because she clearly takes after her dad, like mm-hmm. loves 
cooking, um, is like an animal rights activist mm-hmm. based off of the stickers in her room. Like she just has all of these interests that are not explored or shown because all we see is her life revolving around food yep. and weight. Yep. Um, and so that made me just, ugh, I just felt so bad for her character. There's a really sad scene at the very end of the movie, towards the very end of the movie, where, uh, so John has just gotten back to the house. Is like after he has found out that Deborah has been cheating on him. He's gone out with Floor. He comes back, um, and Bernie comes to talk to him, and and is like, I'm just, I, I was really worried that you were, were never coming back, saying that to her dad, who she who she loves a lot. And he's like, I, I really don't want you to have to feel that way. I, I'm so sorry that you're, you're having to, to deal with the fallout of your mother and my relationship. And Bernie says, I think this is intended to be supportive, but it is so sad. She says, it's it's actually great that I get to care about something that is meaningful for a change instead of the stupid things that I'm usually worrying about. And, uh, and John says like what? And Bernie says, Oh, surviving. And I was like, Oh my God. Um, but she, she does seem like somebody who just has no self-esteem. Like you said, like she has all these interests that nobody really pays attention to. Yeah. She gets very little attention for, um, for herself and all of the attention, positive or negative, is about, you know, w- what do you look like? How do you weigh, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Floor does tell her at one point, no, she doesn't. Floor tells somebody else, uh, you know, nothing is going to change your daughter's heart. Like mm-hmm. she's going to be, she's going to be a good person no matter what. Um, but Bernie gets very little in the way of that yeah. directly. <laughs> she doesn't get any of that. Um, affirmation of being mm-hmm. at all. And um, and there's this scene where um, the scene that you referenced where, you know, Deb gets home with the warehouse sale closed and they're yeah. all too small. Um, and she, she, Flora goes home that night and asks Christina, like, how do you say, like, just, can you try this on? Just try it on. Um, and she, I noticed that she brought home like a box of donuts for Christina and is like, eat these. (laughs) And I just, I don't know, like, like food is such a big part of Mexican culture. Um, And, you know, Christina's narration touches on white America being obsessed with like pushing down things like being curvaceous, things like sex, things that I don't know, just are part of life, like mm-hmm. and having an abundance and being soft and being kind. And white America seems to really um, push against those things. Yes. And obviously that is Deb's character to a T. It's interesting because like that, that particular bit of narration, she, uh, Christina, like you're saying, it's like American women are especially like white white american women are all about or or are so conditioned to just be deprived all the time deprived and deprived of um what she says is is the way that all women want to feel in their bodies and it it just like generates uh i think the the expectation is it generates the kind of like madness that that deborah has it's so interesting because one of the things i want to talk about in relation to this movie, it's sort of a meta, um, it's sort of a meta through line here. And it's Hollywood's 
depiction of Mexi hens. Mm-hmm. And it's it's interesting because we have a movie that was released in the mid 2000s in the second uh, first end of the first beginning of the second Bush term mm-hmm. uh, and, and, in office. And it was a time in American culture where we were having a very intense debate about uh, immigration reform. There was talk about amnesty for people who are undocumented in this country. Um, the the term illegal immigrant, I think, was really coming into its own as a political weapon mm-hmm. by by the right. There was talk about building a, a wall. I mean, stop me if any of this is familiar <laughs> to you in 2021. Um, but it's, it's interesting because contextually, you have a movie that is intending, fully intending to... Um, uplift the story of people who come to America from south of the border who intend to uh, not only to make a better life for themselves here, but also to continue to live fully in the values that they have brought with them. But when you sort of take like a, a little meta half step back from that, what's actually interesting to me is that James L. Brooks chose Paz Vega, who's great in this movie. She's fantastic in this movie. Um, she's a Spanish actress. And there's also a contract. I feel like it's so funny because, um, you know, you have Christina talking about like Mexican women embody what American women would also like, which is an ability to like live in, um, uh, to, to be more curvaceous, to experience, uh, to experience and explore what life has to op- offer. And in support of that, we have Flora's character who is basically like a European pinup model. I mean, right? Like it's, it's sort of like, it's it's just sort of like interesting. And I went and actually read some interviews at the time. Newsweek talked to James L. Brooks um, about the making of this movie. And he was like, uh, because Flora's character can't, communicate with language for most of the movie. Um, we need somebody whose face says everything that they're, that, that you're, you have to be completely captivated by them. And that's why I chose a Spanish actress who spoke no English and had to be taught how to sound as though she were Mexican. Um, <laughs> it's, it's just, it's so, it's so interesting. There's like such a weird dynamic there. Like we want to, uplift the story of Mexican people coming to America, the Mexican immigrant story, um, but could not, in a worldwide search, could not find Mexican people who were capable of doing that. In a worldwide search that probably was based in Los Angeles. right. Exactly. (laughs) It doesn't make any sense to me. And I didn't even realize um, until you had told me that she was Spanish. And I was like, oh, right. I think I remember reading about that in like, People magazine as being very similar to JLo playing Selena Quintanilla. Mm. And she's also not Mexican. Mm-hmm. So it's just a long tradition we have of um, using people who are not Mexican to portray Mexican people. I'm like, I'm not a hardcore, like, everybody has to play exactly the identity that they are in movies, of course. And, and like we're saying, like, she does an incredible job with, uh, with, what she's given in this movie. But I do feel like psychologically there's something interesting that's happening in the mind of, of Hollywood writers where they're like, 
um, you know, what what is the best possible representation? I feel like, honestly, I feel like it's similar to um, to the sort of psychological factors that lead Hollywood to pick lighter skinned black actors when they're talking about uh, when they're doing biopics of darker skinned people or mm-hmm. things like that. It's um, it's just it's something that I think is it undermines to a certain extent some of the good intentions that are implicit in uh, in in the material that is being worked with. And I, I just um, also I have to I have to call out because this is 2004, 2005, and a lot has changed since then in Hollywood. I mean, not as much as it probably should have, but um, Paz Vega, who, like I said, did not really speak English when she took this role, which James L. Brooks told her was not an issue. They were happy because um, uh, because she's gorgeous. That was literally like one of the things that they were... <laughs> said, um, not an issue. We'll teach you the language um, because you've got the right look. Um, and she on set was teaching people Spanish. This is a cute little anecdote to, to get down for the record. Uh, a Guardian reporter asked her, so by the time you're done shooting, do, are people, do people speak Spanish on set? Are people talking to you? And she's like, yeah, basically everybody was picking up Spanish. Um, she says, Adam Sandler didn't really learn any Spanish he just learned how to say, give me a kiss. And he would say it to me a lot. And and, and he's really funny. And I was like, ooh. <laughs> cancel this man. It's like, oh, if you man. cancel him for anything. There's, <laughs> I sent you a screenshot of that because I was like, there's just so much in here. Uh, you know, it, to be fair, to be fair to Adam Sandler, I think this was like his first serious role. So maybe he just didn't know how to behave. <laughs> he was just a kid in two thousand four. Just a kid. That's right. Fresh off little Nikki. What do we expect? He's just <laughs> a little. Um, he's just a little ragamuffin. I don't know. Um, yeah. So uh, let's talk about the narrative framing. So Christina, we have an actual unseen narrator. We have Christina, who's about twelve years old in the movie itself. Um, and then we have Christina, who is a 17, 18-year-old applying to college. Um, but she actually doesn't appear. She's just our, she's just walking us through everything that that happened. I'm curious what you thought about this narrative structure and how it how it is used and like where it where it leaves us at the end of the movie. Well, it gave me like nightmares to applying to colleges, um, which is something about, I did like getting the, the personal essay. Story. <laughs> yeah, Absolutely. the personal essay um, at the beginning of the pandemic. I was going through um, boxes, and I actually found drafts of like five different college personal essays. Oh my god! And I read all of them, obviously. And I was like, oh my god, yeah, you really have to like sell all of your mm-hmm. trauma. Um, to to get Absolutely. into these colleges, <laughs> um, so you have to sing for your supper, right? Uh, it's disturbing, but in any case, so yeah, I didn't didn't like being reminded of that part, but I was very perplexed by the because of, I mean, okay, I was more curious. Like, so did your mom tell you all of these details that we're seeing? <laughs> Or are you elaborating a little bit, taking, you know, creative license over some of these things? Because, you know, I mean, just there's all these details I wonder, like, 
okay, which part of this <laughs> is in the essay? Is this right. all in the essay? Right. Um, but I, I wish... And if, and if large parts of it aren't in the essay, is it a very good essay? Right. Like, <laughs> like what, I just want to know like what exactly it was. Um, but I did like... Um, the first half of the film, she, she, uh, Christina's narration came in a lot more. Um, and you could kind of see where the essay was going that she wants to explore the like idea of deprivation in white America. Um, and I, and I wish that there had been more in the second half of the movie. We really only hear from her again, you know, at the end of the film, Mm -hmm. as you referenced earlier. Um, but I liked it, you know, I just, again, I'm curious, like what floor, actually told Christina, especially about the conversation she has with John in the restaurant where they mm-hmm. start to make out. I'm like, did your mom tell you that too? She said it was the conversation. In the narration, <laughs> we're told that Floor said it was the conversation of her lifetime. Um, not a great, not a great, con- I mean, if we're, <laughs> if we're ranking conversations, I'm sure, I'm sure she has had better. Um <laughs> Best meal. I mean, okay. Best meal, sure. sure. It looked delicious. Mm-hmm. It looked fantastic. Uh, I don't know about the conversation though. It was mostly Adam Sandler speaking in tongues, basically. <laughs> and also, also, like my brain cells. I'm losing brain cells. You're so beautiful. <laughs> Um, great. He pours these two hearty glasses of Ciroc as well, <laughs> <laughs> which I just want to say when he first. Uh, appears drinking Ciroc um, earlier in the film, I instinctively said, drink responsibly because I'm so used to the advertisement. (laughs) So I I literally apparently cannot look at a bottle of Ciroc (laughs) ever. Um, I, the, it's interesting to me. It does. It. I wasn't really thinking about my own experience with the personal essay. I don't remember I don't even remember writing it. I didn't feel very like detached from the the college admissions process at this point. But it is interesting because, and you like it. I at at times it feels like overly saccharine, like because you have it at the start, right? Like you have um, these people who are set up to be like, like look at these white bread college admissions <laughs> essays, where these people are like, yeah, I. Uh, somebody taught me the meaning of the word X or like uh, I'm so inspired by Mother Teresa and you're supposed to be like, okay, these people have never experienced anything in their lives mm-hmm. and um, and they're just very dull. You know, they're just yeah. very bo- boring, have done nothing and and are trying to make it sound like they're interesting. At the same time, you know, uh, Christina has an amazing story mm-hmm. It's hardly like far from a cliche or a convention to be like my most admired person is my mother, you know, like that. I don't know. It it does seem like a lot of the personal uh, personal essay narratives. It is about trying to shape. You're, you're trying to fit your life into the shape of what does this person reading it expect. Or what will they think is the best possible version of how to tell the story of my life? Um, and there are only so many ways to do that. It's sort of, sort of just like a very limiting genre of writing in 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 that way. No matter what you do, and and I do kind of wonder, like, you know, the the essay leads up to this pivotal moment where Christina has to decide, uh, like, looking back at the last. 
12 years of her life, am I going to be my mother's daughter or am I going to be uh, a more Americanized version? Am I going to attempt to be more like the American children that I see every day in, in my private school? Mm-hmm. And, and in that way, I do think it is, it is powerful. But man, I don't know. Like the, the, essay, the essay framing, it definitely, I don't feel like it directly lends itself to be like, a, a deep investigation of Christina's, you know what I mean? Like yeah. C- Christina's relationship to Los Angeles or to the mm-hmm. Klaskis or to, you know, anything like that. But I think it for, at least for us, the viewers, it sets up um, one of the other big themes of the film, which is like maternal relationships. True. The relationship yeah. with Christina and her mother, Sudasi, is about her relationship to Deb um, and then Deb's relationship um, with her own mother, Gloria mm-hmm. Leachman, um, because they all end up having very important, serious discussions about, about motherhood with each other um, because, you know, Christina and Deb are both daughters um, and their mothers are both part of this story. So I think, at least for me, her narration this time in watching it really also set up the maternal aspects of this film. That's a great point. Uh, how would you characterize the difference between Christina's relationship with her mother versus Christina's relationship with Deb. They're both very, I think, Mm. important throughout this movie, right? Yeah, I mean, her relationship with her mother is obviously, Christina's with Floor is very like a relationship that I really recognize. Like, Mm -hmm. yeah, my mother doesn't have to say a word for me to know what I'm supposed to do right now. I have to be quiet. I have to apologize, um, et cetera. And it's one of like respect, um, but also obedience um, and Mm -hmm. a recognition that like my mom knows more than me. So I'm going to listen to her in this Mm -hmm. moment. Um, Whereas with Deb, she's like, you know, she calls her the coolest white woman she's ever met. (laughs) Um, But Christina's relationship with Deb is like just fun. It's Mm -hmm. free. Um, And it's this life that she's like never been a part of um she calls malibu like a playground for rich people or a toy store for rich people um and all her entire relationship with deb is just having fun because deb's relationship to christina is this is the daughter that i wanted to have she's thin she's Mm -hmm. beautiful she compliments me yeah she likes me she thinks i'm cool um and it, you know, it just, again, makes me feel really bad for Bernice uh-huh. um, because I'm sure if Deb just treated Bernice like her daughter um, and like the child that she is, they would also have fun. Yeah, um, <laughs> there's, there's actually a really good scene to that effect where like uh, in, in the scene where Christina calls her the the coolest white woman she's ever met. Um, Deborah has just, they've just gotten to Malibu. Uh, Deb sees... Christina hanging out on the beach. She's like, let's go for a drive. Mm-hmm. And they, she like takes her and they go get like this uh, washout hair dye and their hair and they're having such a good time. They come back. Flora is, is furious because mm-hmm. Deb in her um, very, uh, um, her very white person way of talking has written in her note that says, I just stole your daughter or <laughs> whatever for, uh, we'll bring her right back. Um, and, then th- when they come back, there's a big confrontation mm-hmm. 
Um, but to the point that you are making, where you were, where you're saying how bad you feel for Bernie in in all of this, Bernie is so heartbroken because she didn't get, yeah. she did not get invited on this mother daughter uh, outing, and she also does not get the sort of catharsis of being able to say like, hey, what about me? Like mm-hmm. all the, like the discussion just moves on from her right away. Like as, as it seems like it, it often does. I mean, it brings up an important distinction too, which is the Klaskis are kind of like the, the parents are kind of just childish and like not, not childish. Uh, well, they are a child, but like childlike in a lot mm-hmm. of ways. Like we see Floor being a very serious, very adult person, making very serious decisions for herself and her family, mm-hmm. um, you know, deciding to leave employment at the end of the movie, even though it means that she's going to have to figure out what to do next. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas Deborah and John, John is in kind of this uh, intermediary space in his career at the beginning of the movie where he's saying he's afraid he's basically afraid of success. He's a very mm-hmm. talented chef. He does not want all of the attachments that go along with and the expectations that go along with being, you know, the recipient of four stars or whatever, which is eventually what he gets. Mm-hmm. He wants to get three and a quarter stars cuz he feels like he feels like that would give him enough to get by without people expecting things of him. Um, meanwhile, Deborah has this very juvenile relationship with just about everybody. I mean, she is attacking her mom. Like there are a lot of scenes between her and Cloris Leachman uh, where Deborah actually just sounds like a teenager. She just sounds like she's never grown out of being a teenager. Um, and she probably feels that way, honestly. Uh, or she takes, she, you know, she takes Christina and she goes and gets her hair dyed, uh, crazy colors with with Christina and that's like you know that is just like the high point of her summer basically she's having a great time they have these very like childlike interactions with the world and I think there is a commentary in this movie on like just the the way that just having more money than you know what to do with is its own insulation from having to actually like grow up and deal with real world issues bingo there's they've they have not i mean i don't know them personally and their characters but it seems that they have had no conflict in their lives at all yeah at all and john at one point in the film when he's talking to floor uh regarding the 640 dollars that he gave to christina uh, for collecting sea glass um he says things just come easy to me yeah and that's you know clearly how he feels about everything the success of his restaurant his marriage his two kids it just kind of happened him and deb have been together since high school Mm -hmm. so really their lives have not changed at all except that they've just yeah money has just like magnetized (laughs) i mean their house is like so full of stuff like Uh the walls are full of pictures and artwork and her in the, in the bathroom, the shower is full of products. Her vanity is littered with Dermalogica products. Um, you know, they're, they just have so much stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a cup full of money at one point that she just, Deb reaches into to right. <laughs> stop someone's bleeding nose with like a wad of twenties. Um, so yeah, I, I, that's such a good point that they have this childlike 
demeanor, um, whereas floor is obviously the exact opposite of mm-hmm. that. And I think that's also part of what bothers floor so much about Deb taking Christina is that floor cannot do that with Christina. Mm-hmm. Floor cannot just take her daughter and just piss money away. Right. Like that's not how it works for them. Um, and but obviously that would make her daughter happy. Of course, who wouldn't be happy just like spending all kinds of money on pink hair and flea market stuff. That mm-hmm. stuff is not cheap. <laughs> so, you know, I think for Floor it was also like I cannot replicate that. And if yeah. my daughter continues to get used to this lifestyle, like this isn't real. This right. isn't the life that we live. I think that's such a, a a good summation. It's not it's not real, and so like you have these scenes where it's like Deborah giving uh, Christina an extremely expensive necklace as a gift on her first day of this private school, and being like, "Oh, it's from your mom too," and she's like, "It's not from me." <laughs> <laughs> um, there's there's a you know the floor has a uh, a cl- very clear commitment to her daughter that she's going to be honest with her. Mm-hmm. You know, and and that she expects the same. Whereas for Deborah, it's like, oh, it's it's just things, it's just money. Uh, they're just like white lies, you know. Like it yeah. doesn't none of it none of it really matters or has any staying power as far as as far as they're concerned. There's, I mean, I think lastly, I would love to talk about the first of all, like the the romantic relationship between uh, Adam Sandler's character John and Floor. And just like how it fits into the broader construct of domestic labor in LA. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just like it's one of those <laughs> things where it's like, first of all, obviously take the take the movie where it is and and not try to add too much to it. But it's so hard to watch a movie written and directed by a a big time, very, very wealthy. Uh, a white Hollywood director uh, and product of the Hollywood entertainment industry being about like just if you abstract away from everything else um, a wealthy guy who falls in love with his the house yeah <laughs> falls in love with the help and and how much the 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 help is in love with him and how he has this sort of like uh unfaithful wife who just who more or less justifies the whole endeavor Mm -hmm. um what did you think about their what did you think about their relationship you know i think it could have been like it it is a trope like it's a total trope falling in uh, a a man a husband falling in love with the nanny the housekeeper what have you Jude Law, perfect example. Like Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yes. More, <laughs> more locally. Um, so this is, yeah, this is not a new concept, but I, I think what was interesting for me um, is that although we don't see um, Deb's, you know, affair with um, her, we just don't see her affair. We know of it. We know it's 11 weeks. Mm-hmm. We know that they slept together. Um, we know that it's over. We don't see any of it, though. Um, we see her throwing on her Manolos and heading out the door um, several times. Um, But we don't see it. However, we do see this one night exploration um, by John and Floor sober, I might add. They don't actually drink that Ciroc um, into what could be and the feelings that they've developed because Floor is present and Mm -hmm. she sees 
Bernie and Georgie as as the good kids that they are. And she doesn't judge them. Um, and she takes care of them and, um, you know, helps them to feel good about themselves. And obviously, John, I think, sees her maternal nature. Um, and, you know, she also applies it to him, though, in a lot of ways. She's like constantly giving mm-hmm. him pep talks, constantly massaging his ego. Um, and I think that that's such a huge part of domestic work. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's there's also, I've, I've read a lot about the ways in which um, domestic workers are like therapists for the families yep. that they work for. So, you know, I think it is really interesting that we see John and Flor on that date, but all they do is kiss. Mm-hmm. And, you know, ultimately at the end of it, they love their own kids too much to completely, you know, implode um, and have this affair, um, which I appreciate because I think it would have been a totally different film if it ended with like uh-huh. Flor and John getting together. And it's true. Would have been, it would have been completely different. And, and, um, and I think one of the important things about this depiction of, of this kind of housework, actually a lot of the movie revolves around the, the physical distance between their two worlds, um, and and like we said, Deborah uh, disparagingly, disparagingly refers to their neighborhood as the barrio, um, and is like, oh, "You're telling me you'd rather spend the, the summer in the barrio than in Malibu? Come on, like get, that, no chance." Um, and but we see next to nothing of their neighborhood, very little of their of their social circle. For Floor, the vast majority of her time is spent with this other family, you mm-hmm. know, a family that from the very first Deborah and everyone else is like, you're, you know, welcome to the family. You're a part of our family now, but in a servile capacity, as we were talking about, like, um, you know, Deborah is willing to fire her if she's not, if she's not going to come to Malibu, she's just like, yeah. Oh, I she would said, hate, this is what I need. I would hate to have to lose you. But I will lose you, yeah. if, like you know. There, there is, um, and it's. It, I think it goes back to that sort of childlike quality that they have, where it's just sort of like uh, when when you say we're like a family or whatever, what you're really saying is we're not going to allow you the boundaries that would be associated with any other type of labor. Um, we're going to really make you feel like you are part of this family. You're going to see our kids, be with our kids every day, live with us. Um, but also we have all of the cards. And I think that's one of the things that Flora has shown to great effect struggling with throughout this movie, the amount that she is being manipulated emotionally mm-hmm. by the Klaskis, Um, which I mean, and then, so again, I, I feel like within the context of the movie, you do see John and Floor developing uh, a pretty clear emotional bond, uh, going through a lot of the same things. That said, it's a it's a little it's a little iffy. I mean, in terms of just like if you were to completely just like look at the story on paper and be like, um. Yeah, I mean, just to have... She works for him. Yeah, she he works has all for the him. power. He has all the power. Um, and even a step further back from that, it's very easy to imagine um, that John Klasky is a James L. Brooks stand-in in this movie. And just to have him 
writing his, um, like I said, his pinup model uh, housekeeper writing or saying, I love you, and then sort of slinking off into the the darkness. Um, yeah, it's a, it's strange. It's strange credulity a little bit um and and it's it is there's no tension in it in the way that one might expect there to be uh in in a, a more modern rendering of it but definitely as far as the depiction of for example saying there's no transit between Malibu and uh and the neighborhood where we live like or or it's just not feasible to get back and forth between there so we need to actually have you come live in with us um, the the one and a half mile walk from the home in Bel Air to the bus stop, all of these things I think make a really clear distinction that even without the boundaries being set, even with this sort of um, you know familial familial quality of domestic labor, there are clear divisions in the in the worlds that they inhabit. Um, and and as the movie goes on, Flora has more of a hard time pulling Christina back from that world into her own. Uh, it's it's really it's 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 actually a, a really well done depiction, I think, of this of of this time period of this uh, dynamic and um, and yeah, I, I super I, I found it super enjoyable as well. I was I was very surprised that it still felt modern. Like, of course, as you said, the the use of Anglo was very dated. But I think overall, like, the characters still feel very modern. Mm. Um, and the story could absolutely be told today. Um, so I also really enjoyed the film. I really like it. I'm, I'm really happy that we did this one. Yeah. And we're going to have to have you back soon on TMZ. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, if you watch Spanglish along with us, let us know what you thought on Twitter or on our Discord, which is something that we have now. Our next TMZ episode is going to be out in two weeks, and that is going to be The Neon Demon. That is our Halloween selection for this year. Thank you, everybody, for listening, and you can catch our main show on Monday. Bye. <laughs>